Okay, welcome to episode 39 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast, and I'm glad to welcome Darren Hill back from your trip to America, Daz. How, how was it over there? It felt like a hibernation. You know, it was <laughs> negative 4,000 degrees. We uh, huddled up inside, watched a bunch of sports, and uh, yeah, I've reemerged and um, I've thawed out, thankfully. So, yeah, it's good. Was it like uh, in the movies when the the prodigal son returns and the house is still in the shrine and the dysfunctional family sits around inside, makes jokes and um, it is the girl you lost your virginity to is still working at the local bar, so you sort of look look, look at the road less travelled. Jeez, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all my Facebook living is has uh, paid off. Yes, that's exactly what it was. You, Relive the glory days and uh, drive around town hanging your your arm out the window and <laughs> tooting at the heavy ladies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was the best piece of memorabilia that you pulled out of your bedroom when you when you went home? Well, I've got some for you that I'll I'll um, I'm going to surprise you with, but it was a uh, um, it has to be. I had a look. I got a bunch of memorabilia and some old cards and that sort of thing. I used to collect all the the basketball cards, but the funniest piece was a three or four page full blown. Um, it was like the centerpiece article on Scotty Brooks, the player. This is 1989 <laughs> or 1990. He's like standing next to a surfboard. He's got a shorty shorts on and his little blonde mullet. So that was probably the funniest one. Um, and this old hoop magazine. I don't know if you ever had hoop, but, uh, that was a good one. Then of course, you know, um, just seeing the old advertisements, Daz, right? It was like a magic Isaiah and Larry Bird sitting around the bleachers drinking orange juice out of a tin can. It was Minute Maid ads, just so cheesy. And uh, what was the other one? Uh, Akeem, before he had the H, before he was Hakeem, Akeem Olajuwon in his famous uh, L.A. gear um, <laughs> shoes. So Akeem was going to, you know, against the flow of, you know, Nike <laughs> at the time with LA gear, uh, blazing his own trail. Needless to say that, that brand didn't last very long. So just, you know, that sort of stuff was, uh, just infinitely entertaining. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to look back. Bill Simmons actually touched on that in, in the book of basketball about, uh, the gear and the equipment that they used to use back in the Coombs day. And you wonder how much, many more years they might have gotten some of those guys uh, if they had better athletic equipment uh, to to apply their trade. Uh, And what's the temperature like over there in terms of the NBA? I mean, people, do you get the feeling there is a bit of a shift over in in America towards the NBA or is it still NFL um, ruling the roost over there? Well, it's still NFL for sure. So, but it's right. It was also kind of coming up on playoff time. So that was just kind of an interest. So, you know, when I met the boys out, um, you know, I got a group of friends who grew up Steelers fans. And so they were, they were glued to the TV and, um, and then of course a bunch of, you know, Packers fans, um, who were still casually interested in just wanting to, it's kind of still cheering for Tom Brady to lose. So look at, at playoff time, I guess it's probably still the, the foundation of its, um, you know, the NFL. Uh, so uh, Giannis hasn't gotten into every single living room yet. Um, but it, it was also the same time when the, the news came out that the NFL viewership was down 9.7% this year, which is, you know, you lose 1% and that's probably sends warning 
signals through the league. So 9.7% is an unbelievable figure. So the data tells me that, you know, it's probably what you and I have been talking about and us and many others, that basketball's on the rise, my friend. So, um, at least, at least I'll say I didn't get laughed off uh, of the of the phone, or I didn't get laughed in the face of when I said I wanted to go down and see, um, you know, drive two and a half hours and 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 be in negative fifty temperature to watch, you know, watch Bucks versus Pacers. That was no longer a laughing matter in the central Wisconsin, which is which is a step, which is definitely a step in the right direction. So we're getting there, Daz. Uh- the, the league doesn't stop, though, Daz. We spoke just before we got on there just about uh, what sort of happened. Not a lot's happened, even though you've been away a few weeks. doesn't feel like a lot's happened other than a couple of teams sort of, I guess, rising up, particularly around the four seed in each conference. Uh, now, the last time we spoke, we might start in the West because the last time we spoke, we're actually speaking about, well, who do we think is going to be the four seed? And you said, OK, see, I said the Blazers. Uh, the moment I said the Blazers, Dame Lillard, Dame Lillard goes down with an injury and they've sort of just been treading water since then. They're about 500. Uh, OKC continue to have their same struggles. It feels like Russ Westbrook has just taken over uh, and said, I'm going to play the style I played last year and, and everyone else has just got to try and keep up. But the team that's really put their best foot forward has been the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, they are now, I'm just getting it up, they're seven and three in their last ten games, but their last five games, all at home, have all been double-figure victories over the uh, over the Pelicans, the Cavs, the Thunder, the Knicks, and the Trailblazers. So, three of those wins coming against teams that are also fighting off around that sort of four spot in the middle of the Western Conference playoffs. And you've also got the Knicks. That's a reasonable win. And, of course, they destroyed the Cavs. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Cavs later. But have you caught any Minnesota basketball? And what, what do you think's changed from when we were a little bit low on them in our last conversation? I've actually caught quite a quite a few um, Wolves games. I saw, before I left, I saw that crazy um, uh, Portland game, which was at Minnesota, Um uh, so it's sort of a typical Portland game, but they let when they let Jamal Crawford go off. So it was one of the because that was gosh, we're pushing a month ago. Um, it was one of those games where Minnesota was grinding to a halt. Um, every team Portland had a big lead, fifteen plus points. Uh, the whole arena gets casual. Uh, the one person who's never casual about the basketball is Jamal Crawford, and he lit him up. He scored twenty three points in like sixteen minutes. And it's a game that Portland gave away. Um, I watched Minnesota a few times since then. I from from getting who who against, but uh, again, ironically, again, bookending it today. I just saw them play a Portland again, uh, and just dismantled them. It wasn't even it wasn't a contest. It was a bit of contest early on. CJ Miles, CJ Miles, CJ McCollum got into not quite Alan Wiggins, but. Um, <laughs> McCollum got in foul trouble, and that was pretty much the end of it. And Minnesota um, just categorically just dismantled them. So a bookending with these two Portland games about a month apart, um, what I'm seeing is what I saw today is a team that looks like a team. And, you know, we've been banging on about Andrew Wiggins and his famous, you know, $28 million contract, 13 PER performance, and that's getting a lot of headlines. 
you know, Cat was getting a lot of headlines for his continued basic complete absence and inability to do anything on the defensive end. And he's kind of like now become the poor man's boogie cousins tiptoeing out to the three point line. You know, sort of, we, we, it's been easy to find these faults, right? With, oh my gosh, how does the Tom Thibodeau team still not play defense? But uh, I don't know, uh, chicken and the egg here, but they're winning a bunch of ball games and looking like a team. And Jimmy Butler has been unbelievable. I don't think he's getting nearly enough press. And ironically enough, there was a, I think there was a, was it a Zach Lowe? Zach Lowe's latest low post was with Jim Peterson um, of Big Ten fame. He played um, he played with Hakeem actually for a few years. So Minnesota guy, Minnesota analyst, former NBA player, who basically went on to say just as much as well that Jimmy Butler's having the most under-the-radar kind of sneaky MVP-like season. Um because he just plays so unbelievably hard, doesn't take a possession off, can wheel the team to get buckets. And again, saw him today, and I, I think I tweeted to you or, or texted to you while it was happening, was while the game was going on against Portland. It's an innocuous you know, game here, second quarter, and Jimmy Butler is diving on the floor for loose balls, uh, making great plays at the end of possessions to save a defensive possession and going down the other end hitting tough jumpers, doing a great give-and-go with Teague, who looks actually quite competent, and just driving driving the team, driving the team bus. So um, the longer the short of it is there, it looks like they're playing more defense, number one. Number two, there looks to be a lot more unity on offense, even, and I guess with the unity must come, maybe this is a natural outcome. Maybe Andrew Wiggins is just the extreme version of um, of Chris Bosh taking a back seat, you know, with the big two. And he's he's taking oh, he's still taking too many shots, but um, he's blended in and deferring to 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 Cat and to certainly to Jimmy on on playmaking and um, Towns. Uh, again, I saw flashes of him today making it's out the three point line, you know, faking it up and driving to the hole, putting it on the deck and making this beautiful little pocket pass into Gibson for the easy layup. So. There's this playmaking that you see um, seeing Cat make, so I think that's probably contributing to their to the offense as well. So well, they're back up so, to 19th now in defensive rating. Uh, yeah, what's impressed me in this latest run is just the balance they have. Uh, every in terms of the starting five in particular, where pretty much everyone's taking the same about, about the same amount of shots. Wiggins usually a little bit higher, and and then. Butler and Cat underneath that, and then Gibson, who's having a really good year, and Teague uh, there as well. And they're all averaging sort of in the mid, you know, 15 through the 25. And that's it's just, it's a nice balance to have on your offense. And Jimmy Butler, just looking at his numbers, he's putting up 21.5 points a game, just over five rebounds, just over five assists and two steals. So that's pretty elite company when you're, when you're averaging those sort of numbers. And it felt like... He started the year and just sort of said, "Look, this at the moment it's Wiggins and Towns' team. Let me sit, let me sit back, take a back seat, get a temperature check on what these guys have got, and then once he realised the answer wasn't much, particularly those few games where he sat and they were absolutely dreadful, uh, he he seems to have decided, okay, this is now my team, and they seem to be following him a little bit. Uh, the defence has certainly improved." Uh, I'm seeing Wiggins a little bit more engaged on both ends. He's not just sort of standing in the corner, 
on offense waiting to get the ball and pounding, uh, he's getting a little bit more involved, a little bit more movement there. So some good signs. And, I, and I've watched a little bit of certain games, and they've just been blowing teams out. So I haven't sort of stuck with the games. But I saw a bit of the Thunder game. That was Yeah, they killed the, the contest, Thunder. Yep. And they embarrassed the Cleveland Cavaliers. That was just uh, men against boys in that game. It, it was really unbelievable, I thought, what they did to the Cavs that night. So the things that we were, you know, criticizing them for, which you've you've called out around um, around Wiggins, around defense and improved. The other thing, right? They've been hammered for um, Tibbs in particular for, you know, having too short of a bench and relying too heavy on the starters. If you notice the last several games, he's got himself now a nine man rotation. He has, you know, yes. right? So the Bielika, um, uh, Gorgia, uh, Tyus Jones, and Jamal Crawford. So it's not just Crawford. Plus, whomever else, you know, is a warm body that day, which is what it felt like early on while the offense struggled. They put, you know, so much pressure on, believe it or not, Jamal Crawford to generate buckets. Um, so he settled into a nice nine-man rotation now, and even Bielika was, you know, he didn't make every shot, but he was, you know, the crowd was into it, and he was looking for his shot, and, you know, they were they were moving the ball. And, again, this competent um, uh, backup point guard play by Tyus Jones you know, he runs an offense now. And so they've done enough staggering with, between Wiggins, Towns, and Butler with that second unit. Looks like trying to get these these minutes down to, you know, kind of around the 36 range. But mm-hmm. that's been a recent, that's very recent here. The last sort of three or four games, you'll see the bench has really shrunk. Well, now, granted, that's come, they are blowing yeah. teams out. So take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. I want to see them, I want to see them in this distribution in a closer game. To get a yep. good idea, but Billy Leacher, he's leading the. Well, he was leading last time I checked the NBA in three point percentage, uh, shooting just a tick under forty five percent from three uh, on two attempts a game. So uh, he's been really good value off the bench, uh, and even guys like Shabazz Muhammad and Aaron Brooks, not part of the rotation at the moment. But if if anyone goes down ahead of them, they're guys you can have some faith in. They're not going to completely tank when guys like that are coming off the bench either. You wouldn't think. No, I, th- I think they're. Um... We'll see. I mean, there's a like, I mean, there's a reason Shabazz isn't playing, and even though there's been space for him to play, so I think there's, there's probably something wrong with Shabazz. But, um, um, but uh, most most arrows pointing up now. Let's see what happens when they go back out on the road again. Can they sustain it? But yeah, definitely on the heels here. They're half game behind the Spurs for well, that. Well, that's the big thing. Three I mean, seed, which yeah, yeah. they're now five games clear of OKC, so they're. That, that's very comfortable in the four seed at the moment. And given that those teams below them, which is OKC, New Orleans, Portland and Denver, are all around 500 in their last 10. They just seem to be treading water. Uh, so the Spurs maybe I mean, the Spurs aren't one to really look at the standings, but from a fan's point of view, you're looking now over your shoulder and thinking, well, Minnesota are coming. The Spurs, thankfully, Kawhi's finally back. He actually looked OK after a rough start in the game against the Nuggets. Uh, the other day, so the Spurs, Minnesota. Look, I tell you what, Houston wouldn't want to take too many more nights off. They're five and five in their last ten. Uh, James Harden down injured. Not sure when he's going to be back. That's a hamstring issue. Originally it was two weeks. I think we're right on coming up to the two weeks now that he's been out. Uh, and five and five in their last ten. So they haven't exactly been setting the world on fire um, without James Harden there. No, I haven't. I haven't seen too much. I'll be honest of the of the Rockets, but I, I they're not at risk. I think of losing the two seed yet. But there's no mystery, right? You don't. You still want to finish. You'd rather finish the three seed, right? You want to avoid the four or five, 
right? All things being equal, right? I think if you're a Spurs fan as well, considering what happened, um, you know, I guess in, in last year's playoffs, you want to avoid, um, you know, Zaza aside, you, you probably want to avoid Golden State till the finals, wouldn't you? Oh, there's no doubt. To say the least, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you want to you want to try and get in that two three spot. I think you can aim for the two. So and uh, at the moment, Houston thirteen and eleven, so they're one win ahead. Uh, but obviously, they've got a few games in hand. Excuse me, over both the Spurs and uh, the Timberwolves at this stage. So they're still clearly the favourite, I think, to finish in that two seed. But I'll be interested to see how if if Harden misses too many more games, um, what the story was. And also, just something to keep an eye on. I did watch. Back-to-back games, James Harden had 50 points and they lost both games. And uh, Chris Paul looked pretty miserable in those games. He didn't look like he enjoyed just standing out in the corner watching James Harden uh, pound the ball around the court. So uh, that's something Chris to watch. Paul looks miserable, uh, you know, days when he scored 40 himself. So, uh, he, But I hear you. Yeah, look, that's a look, that's a theme of this of this NBA, right? Whether it's Russ or Harden at this this isn't going away. The your turn, my turn sort of basketball that's being played all over kind of with more frequency. Mm. It's frustrating a lot of players, I reckon. Well, the team that's not looking frustrated at the moment is the LA Clippers. So with, with these teams, as I just touched on, uh, all around five and five, six and four, or four and six, that's sort of five through eight, the Clippers are now only half a game out of the playoffs in the ninth seed. And that was... They've really only had Blake Griffin back, I think, for three games. Uh, so they, they started this comeback before he came back. And Lou Williams is absolutely on fire, having the best stretch of basketball in his career. There's talk about, oh, do they try and trade Lou Williams? I mean, where do you sense? I mean, have you caught any of their games? Where do you sense they're at at the moment? And should they be looking at maybe some asset maximisation here and not worry about the eight seed? Or should they push on and just see what, what this team ceiling is? Yeah, look, I saw the um, the game with the Warriors, which basically just the Lou Williams game. That's the one he went for. It was a pretty close yeah, game, 50, actually. Yeah. It was yeah, a while, they, yeah. Well, it was definitely, I mean, Golden State was ahead at halftime, you know. Like, I think Golden State, they sat a lot of their guys at, though, didn't they? Where they sat uh, well, Curry, Curry, play Green. Curry and Thompson both sat, yeah, right? T- so Thompson it was ex- right. Yeah, Curry and, and Clay both sat, but still Kevin Durant was unstoppable. Uh, unguardable um and Blake wasn't back yet right so this was the but neither of these teams were at full strength Blake that had was come back then he got a concussion so he missed a couple of more guys with a oh, that's right that's right that's right so anyway this is the game that Lee went for 15 he just couldn't he couldn't miss right so um uh so but to your, to your question what do I see from the Clippers look uh, I still see them on the outside looking in look the last Look, they feasted on the Hawks and the home home against um, the Kings here this last week. So I'm not going to draw too many conclusions around games against the Hawks and the Kings. But um, if you're look, if you're Steve Ballmer, this you don't have the stomach for a process. So there's no rebuild in you. So this is a guy who I have no question right is trying to figure out ways to you know re-engineer or retool whatever your whatever your, your preferred phrase is. And so the two main questions are, right, um, one, but what do you do with DeAndre Jordan, right? That's the big question with the expiring contract. What do you do with DeAndre? Do you do you buy at the deadline? Do you sell off some of your depth and try and add a piece and convince yourself 
that with a you know healthy Lou Williams and a healthy Blake and a um, uh, a healthy uh, what's his face Teodosic, could you you know do you convince yourself you can make some noise in the playoffs and do you become buyers at the deadline and you hold on to DeAndre or do you say look you know can we at least sell some seats um, see what we got with these young guys like you know like Harold and Decker and the rest of them and in Juwan Evans and Thornwell and the rest of it, see what we have. So if I'm Balmer, I'm looking at um, what are we? Can, do we think we can make a run and make some noise, or do we have a sell-off? And I, I probably have a, my gut sort of tells me they might just choose the nothing path, which is leave it alone. Um, they got a big payroll. Let's see how the year plays out. Let's see what Doc can do with this roster and, uh, and just sort of play a bit of a longer game, knowing that they're still going to sell some seats and, and Blake's having a hell of a year when he's healthy. But um, that's my, I, I, that's my gut. I think they're going to play actually a bit cautiously here. I don't see them, you know, selling off Deandre for, you know, to a rental for someone for what I, I, I think his value is quite depressed to be honest with you. Yeah. I um, don't so, see a big market for Deandre. Jordan. No, I don't either. Uh, no. The what only, do you think, though? The, yeah. Oh, look, I, th- I think they haven't seen this team together yet. You haven't just haven't seen like two doshes started the season, then got injured. Obviously, Beverly's gone for the season anyway. Unfortunately, Gallinari's been injured to the surprise of no one, but Blake's been injured. Let's let's maybe get ten to twelve games if they possibly can with everyone healthy that's up and about at the moment. And DeAndre Jordan went down the other day. He's hopefully back tomorrow for the game. They're playing the, uh, the Rockets tomorrow, so that's going to be an interesting sort of heat check for them to see, okay, where are they at? Yeah. Uh, the well, I think you've, you've, you've maybe just looked in the crystal ball. If I just look at the rest of January, they've got Rockets, Nuggets, Jazz, uh, T-Wolves, Celtics, Memphis, uh, which is probably the down team, New Orleans and Portland. Right, That's one, two, three, four, five, six playoff teams, and then uh, road games against the Jazz and, and Grizz, which I guess are never simple on the road. So yeah, we'll see. So Maybe there's we'll no exactly. stretch, yeah. And then see they what can we make have some if... decisions around the trade deadline as to whether they want to... That's well, right. I, I can't see them moving anyone in. I, they just don't have any assets to move. But they might. there's definitely going to be some call, as you would think, for Lou Williams uh, and DeAndre Jordan. Look, whatever his value may be as a rental... Uh, for the rest of the season, uh, he may have a little bit of value as well, and they may go sniffing around those sort of deals. Yeah. Depending on, I guess, if they think that they can re-sign DeAndre, or if they're not going to re-sign DeAndre, you know, moving for whatever you can get, I guess, at this point. Um, but, again, who, who's going to be interested in DeAndre Jordan uh, across the league? I'm not, sure, I'm not sure there's going to be a big uh, demand for that style of player. But it is no, I, I think that'd be a terrible mistake to sign him for anything beyond, say, a two-year deal, but um, in a two-year sort of plumly sort of deal, two years, 20, you know, but I, I think he's going to want bigger bucks. Than, and um, I think DeAndre's gone. I just don't think he's someone where – that's my read anyway. I, I don't think they're going to invest in DeAndre past no, this season. No, I think they'll, they'll be looking to move on. Yeah, as well. he's learned. He's learned to learn from the, the Dwight Howard playbook. You know, tries to make it about himself and with the whole Dallas Mavericks schmuzzle, right? So I think he's gonna, you know, just, he'll finish the season with five hundred and then go try to collect as big a paycheck as he can somewhere. If Probably I said in, to you though that the Clippers get in uh, and one of Portland, 
New Orleans, Oklahoma City, or Denver miss out? I mean, who, who were you? Who would you money be on to miss out on the, of the playoffs of those four teams? Yeah, look, I would say I, I've probably been uh, harshest on the roster construction of the Pelicans. There's no, no denying that. But they've shown some signs. I still hate that Boogie is still 25 feet from the basket. <laughs> Walt Frazier, hate... just to interrupt you on that, I watched the Knicks game today and Walt Frazier, uh, or Clyde Frazier, said, uh, does this guy realize he's a center? Will he stop playing like a guard? Like yeah, I know. Getting the ball at the top of the camp, putting it on the floor and, and you know, drawing charges. It's so frustrating, yeah. I hate it. So well, I've been pretty harsh on them, but... Um, I have not liked what I've seen all year from Denver. I don't know how this team is above above 500, I'll be honest with you, but I've not liked their rotations. I think I've I probably had a rant about them playing the most um, incompetent half of basketball by giving it away, you know, about a month ago, and they've not they've not dispelled me since then. I think they are overvaluing their players. I don't know what sort of deals they might have had or had not you know, with the likes of Butler, George, et cetera, in the off season. But if they've, they've stuck these enormous price tags on players like Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, I think that could have been foolish. I think Jokic has not made any steps, right? He's still the same, yeah. you know, still look, it's a nice facilitator player, but he's not made, he's not made strides. That's for sure. So I, I would say I've just not liked they've just not passed my eye test as where I still see look at that roster and it's you know this deep collection of you know good players but my God unless um, Millsap comes back you know a man possessed I think this team's on the outside looking in I just haven't liked I haven't liked the fact they get trucked by the Hawks you know you know what I mean that they get trucked by the Kings and the Hawks in the same week and I, that's not that's not by accident. That, that's that's something there. Yeah, I might just be unlucky and keep catching them on bad games, but I watched the full game, uh, the, them against the Spurs on the weekend, and the Spurs just destroyed them. It was just such a mismatch. And the Spurs, Kawhi coming back after a few games off, Tony Park coming back, they both looked pretty rusty. Uh, and Davis Bertans just come off and, and shot six of seven from three, and it was over before half time. But they just look completely rudderless. Like there's no leadership within the team. No one's running the plays. It's just it, it, I've never seen a less organised team. I mean, yeah. You look at some teams, you say, I can see what they're trying to do. Whereas when I watch this team, I'm like, what are you trying to do? I don't even I don't even understand the game plan. Okay, you've got two nice passing centers in Plumley and, and Jokic, but they kind of cancel each other out in some ways. And obviously, Jokic better player than than Plumley, so they're sort of both superfluous to requirements. You, you, why they resign Mason Plumley? Looking back, I'm not sure. Uh, just a team that doesn't make sense at all, and no. the, they're playing like it. And maybe a, you know maybe a good point guard pulls it all together and, and gives them some direction. Certainly you throw Chris Paul on this team and they're a totally different looking team uh, than what they are at the moment. So, uh, But but Jamal Murray's not that player. He's not a point guard. Moody, they, they seem to have pretty much moved on from at this point. I'm not sure where, where they go there. Um, so whether, But they do have some assets, I guess. So maybe when we're looking at, at trade deadline candidates, 
this is a team that can be looking uh, very closely at the point guard market for what it is. Not sure well, what point guards are going to be out there for them, uh, but gee, do, do they ever need one? The problem with what they've done is, you, I think you're right, they've got some assets, but shrewd general managers know that when you trade, you know, um, you know, as I say, a dime for three pennies, you know, you're, you're losing out. So Denver will never have, they'll never acquire the best player in a trade unless they have to, that's why I don't, don't think it's, I don't think it's going to happen because you have to staple together a Jamal with the Will Barton to get something or, you know, who wants to pay for Wilson Chandler? Who wants to pay for Trey Lyles or, you know, Fareed's on an expiring. He could have, should have traded him two years ago. Oh, that's 100% you know, right. They, so I just like they've mismanaged these assets and they, and I think they probably, well, but in their defense, right, you can see the strategy, which is, you know, let's see what um, Harris Jokic and Murray in particular can make a big jump. Let's supplement it with the strength and the and the rock of the the supremely consistent. You know what you'll get every night: fifteen and ten, Paul Millsap, right? And then maybe you got some wild cards like you know Will Barton maybe gets hot. Trey Lyles might give us something. And between them with Wilson Chandler, we get some great shooting. And then you know we'll roll the dice here with Moody and, Be- and Beasley and see what we got with the two young kids and see what their ceilings could be. So like, I guess I could talk myself into that strategy in the off season. That's why I'm pointing at, believe it or not, Malone and the coaching and the rotations and the usage. I'm like, you've got a lot of nice parts. You've got no stars, but man, this kid, this looks like Jason Kidd sort of run, running things. So it's a, as you've said, and now we're piling on it. It's a mess. The rotations don't look clean. Way too much your turn, my turn. I don't think um, Jamal Murray is a, a, an NBA a starting point guard for a you know a top five seed sort of team. I think he's okay where he's at. Um, so I start to wonder at my, just to f- finish my thought as I thought if this team was serious and they want to make the playoffs, right? I'm like, is there a, I don't know. Is there a way to get a George Hill? You know, to, well, I was thinking George Hill. That was the guy I was thinking you? of. I don't yeah. think he moves the needle much, but by geez, an upgrade on what they've got. Well, run an offense, right? You know, run a professional offense, but that would clog an already supremely clogged backcourt. So I don't know how they'd break that. You know, maybe it's a George Hill for like a Moutier and some and salary filler. Like well, I don't know, the Moutier Kings wouldn't wouldn't want to take Moutier on at this stage. You wouldn't think. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> but I guess that, do they want to keep paying George Hill to not play basketball either? Right. So well, that's right. I think they're going to have to look at one of the one of their sort of blue chip yeah. young guys or blue chip might be putting too fine a point on yeah. it, but certainly one of their better young guys and whether George Hill's enough of an upgrade to, to make that sort of a trade, yeah. I'm not sure uh, whether that's going to be the case or not. Uh, so let's, we might switch over to the Eastern Conference now, Daz. And there's another team that's making some waves over there since we last spoke, and that's the Miami Heat. They're 8-2 in their last 10. They've moved up into the four seed themselves, knocking on the door of the three seed, uh, Cavaliers, who are in three, four, they're three and seven. We'll get to them shortly. Uh, but Miami, have you caught any of these games? I'll, I'll, I'll quickly give you my take. I've caught a few games. This team is just, some teams have got the regular season worked out, you feel like, and, and I think this team's one of those teams now with, with Spolstra and just the value of good coaching and the value of having a deep roster where everyone can step up from night to night. Can you guess, Daz, how many players on the Heat roster are averaging over 10 points so far this season? 
Oh, Christ. <laughs> Probably like 10. <laughs> the, uh, it's a huge number, I'm guessing. Like it's eight. Six? Yeah, it's, it's eight. eight. Okay, it's that's eight. right. Okay, right. That, I Jeez. mean, to put that in perspective, the Celtics are very deep as well. We know that they've they've got five, and Marcus Smart's a tick under 10. Uh, so... They've got guys, and I mean, Dragic is their top scorer. He he only averages 17. I don't even think he's having as good a season as what they would have hoped he's having. He's only shooting oh, 47% from the field. Not too bad. His three-point shooting is quite good. But I just the game, maybe I'm just catching him on off nights, but under five assists a game, I think they'd probably um, hope for a little bit better from Dragic this year. Well, he only plays like 30 minutes. That's, you know, that's a thing. Well, that's They're so true. Deep. He's only playing just over 30 minutes a game. Um but the the and he, only, he hardly he's got two and a half turnovers a game as well, so the assist to turnover ratio not great. But you look at them and it's Wayne Ellington's averaging just over ten, Kelly Linux's averaging just over ten, James Johnson's averaging just over ten. So it's just spread spread the spread the ball around, spread the shooting load. Now Dion Waiters is one of those players. He's now out for the season. He's chosen to have uh, season-ending ankle surgery, unfortunately, but. Uh, I don't know that they're going to miss him that much. He probably wasn't playing up quite to the level that he showed last year. But every single night, these guys just turn up. They play hard. You know you know they're not going to go away. Uh, and they're playing very hard in the defensive end too. They're ranked ninth in defensive rating. So have you caught any of the Miami Heat? I mean, it feels to me like they're going to be a good regular season team. I don't think they scare anyone come playoff time. But how how far do you think can they rise further than the four seed, or do you see them maybe even falling back amongst the uh, amongst the rest of the the conference as the season goes on? Yeah, look, I, a few I guess a few things. Look, they they look more like the thirty one and ten team than the ten and thirty one team. That's for sure. Um, so there's nothing we haven't learned anything new, I guess, about the Heat this year in that regard. They sort of I guess maybe they're more validating. They're probably more the you know, the, the team who wins more often than not. Look, I still think their roster confuses me. I still don't know what, to what end Pat Riley has constructed this roster. Like, why do you play all the, pay and play all these real players a lot of money? This is not a championship team. So what – I actually don't know what his end game is. Like, why he would purposely build a 47-win team that has no hope and has long-term contracts so that the whole philosophy of the roster construction still flummoxes well, me. Like, just to interrupt you on that point, it was right. like the separate people did the contract negotiations and they didn't talk to each other because in a vacuum, all the contracts were defendable. But put together, you just look at it and you go, you've just kept yourself out to lock yourself into James Johnson, Tyler Johnson. Well, that's right. So all the contracts, so it was like coming along and saying, yep, that's that's a defendable contract. Okay, now I'll pass the baton on to this guy and to Pat Riley's now going to do this one. And then he passes on to Spolster and Spolster does it. It's like no one ever spoke to each other and looked at the cap situation and said, hang on, from a team building point of view, these are terrible contracts. Yeah. True. So I guess that's pretty much sums it up. Like, um, but uh, it, look, there's no way they're breaking top three full stop. Um, they've gotten a little bit lucky, right? One point win against the Jazz, one point win against the Raptors, one point win, you know, against the Celtics a couple of weeks ago. So they had some one point victories and then they feasted on, you know, Knicks, Pistons, Magic, Magic, 
We've had a nice run, uh, but it's a, a bit of luck sprinkled in with a bit of a soft schedule. Well, um, the best and again, my buck team in the NBA by some margin at the moment. Yeah, you know, okay, that that's interesting. I'd have to dig into that a bit more. But well, that's that's per uh, Nate Duncan and, and Danny Larue touched on. Is their number one in the, one in the crunch time? Crunch up, but there, there's always luck that comes. Jeez, that, right? That's that. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to think about that harder. So I just need to I need to process that and think about how and why that is. But um, yeah, look today again. So I'm just I was pointing out the I'll sort of point the counterpoint to their nice streak is the the lucky three one point victories in a matter of two weeks is pretty crazy. That's very lucky. Um, pretty soft schedule. And then I learned today a really funky stat that the Bucks played there down in South Beach a, a matinee game on a Sunday which the Heat won handily and there's been a contest, which I then came to learn over the last four seasons. Um, the Miami Heat are eight, now 19 and four on Sunday afternoon games in Miami. The implication being if you're a visiting team, you travel to South Beach on Saturday, party on Saturday night in an early basketball game on Sunday, you're not really getting up for. So a disproportionate number of victories on Sunday afternoons when the Heat play a home game. So they're now 19 and four in their last 23 on a Sunday afternoon. So not that the Bucks would deserve um, to win that game or should at all cry in their own um, sour beer. But anyway, I think the Heat are a, a nifty little team with some brilliant coaching. Um, with look, if you're a top, you're a top four seed in the East. Do you sweat a seven game series against the against the Heat? Absolutely not. Yeah. So. Nice regular season story. Yeah. Maybe they put some butts in seats. Maybe that's what the story was. Maybe all maybe that Riley's trying to do is wait till LeBron retires or leaves the Eastern Conference, saying us lock everyone up for the next three years. We'll win forty-seven games a year, and we'll make a push in twenty twenty-one or something. That's the best guess I have. Yes. Well, I think to the crunch time uh, uh, statistics. Henry Abbott, who was formerly of ESPN, he did some research years ago about who are the best crunch time players in the NBA. And, and his, what his research showed was the open man is the best crunch time guy in the NBA and where that pertains to the Miami Heat is because there's no star player, because there's no clear guy that at the end of the game like, does like a James Harden or a Westbrook that we spoke about earlier and just says, I've got this, I'm taking this game over. Now, Wade has sort of did a little bit of that last season when he was there, uh, but this year it's just sharing the ball around, finding the open man that might be Josh Richardson one night, might be Ellington the next night, might be Dragic. Uh, different guys been making plays down the stretch of these games, and Spoh's been going with different five-man lineups. Some nights it's a Linux play, some nights it's it's, it's Whiteside. Uh, Bam, Bam Adebayo played the crunch time the other day, in a game against the Bulls, on if unless I'm mistaken, so <clears throat> they're sharing the ball around. Everyone's getting a run. Everyone feels like they're part of it. I think it's it's a good recipe for regular season success. But I think you need those star players and, and a higher level of, of performance uh, for the the players. So I, th- I think they're a classic team where they've got a high floor, low ceiling. Uh, so they're never going to be in terms of their regular season performance, but I don't think that's going to translate to a great playoff success. Uh, just quickly on the other streaking teams, the Boston Celtics, we've probably talked about them enough this year, but they're now 8-2 and two in their last 10. Oh, they had a nice win 
over the Philadelphia 76ers. The 76ers have got a, picked up a bad habit of blowing these big leads in games this year, and they blew another lead in that one. Uh, they were up by 17 points in the second quarter and, and lost by uh, 16 by the end of the game. So it was a pretty a pretty bad fade out for the 76ers. But it was after- bigger than... Sorry, I think it was. Weren't they had by twenty two after the first they quarter? Were it was twenty two. Yeah, it was a huge. Yeah, that's right. Big lead. Yeah, uh, early on in that game. So the Markel Fultz, Fultz watch continues. Daz, what have you made of that? I mean, there's a little bit of hyperbole around this, but there, there's certainly, I guess, some concerns around seventy sixes fans. But what I'm hearing from the ball club themselves is they're pretty happy with where he's coming along, and they're expecting him back on the court uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, look, I'm, you know, where I sort of fall in this camp where there's a, um, you know, sort of, I don't know how these videos are getting out of the teams releasing him or if they're, or what, but there's quote unquote, you know, his jump shot isn't looking any better, end quote. And there are these sort of almost grainy videos of him pregame and in, in practice in these weird little gyms. But, but I'm, uh, uh, I'm not buying into this. The, the ringer narrative that, oh, maybe he was no good in the first place. Maybe was he any good? Was college, was his college career a complete fluke, small sample size of pure luck? And I'm not buying into that discussion at all. So um, I think that I remember seeing a kid in in college with just superlative um, confidence, could get anywhere on the floor, could score at all three levels, right? Could pull up from three could um, pull up and, and find shots and fadeaways and, and step arounds in the mid-range and could finish with really great body control at the rim. So I, I don't forget, you don't forget that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm more in the camp of let's let this kid play. Show me instead of, you know, uh, five minutes of, of, of warm-up videos and a bunch of bored people analyzing shot mechanics and show me, you know, show me NBA tape when the guy's in the game. So well, I don't if, pretend to, I don't pretend to know what's going on in his head or in his shoulder, but I'm in the camp of I just I'll I'll, I'll judge when I see NBA. If NBA Brett Brown's true to his word, we're going to see him uh, unleashed because he said he's exactly what we need. He's probably going to come off the bench if I'm reading between the lines right. But they're saying look, they need some more playmaking. The team just craters in that sense when Ben Simmons is off the court. So they're going to give this guy the keys to the offense at least for portions of the game and see what he can create off the dribble. So I'm looking forward to seeing it um, and look, put all the, the sort of practice shots aside, etc. Uh, they're, they're talking him up off there, and you wouldn't think they'd be talking him up if they weren't confident that he would come in and be able to make some sort of an impact. Uh, and it, it's almost unthinkable that a draft class that's been this good and we're going to look back on as one of the great drafts, I think, uh, in years to come, that the number one pick could be an absolute bust. Uh, and I think there's there's been a little bit too much talk of, oh, this guy's a bust now. He's only played four games. Let's just take a chill pill on that uh, for at least at least the rest of the season. And let's actually see him out there in the NBA games uh, and and see what he can do. So the 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 seventy sixes they're five and five in their last ten. They they're basically playing five hundred ball. Uh, they're on the outside looking in. They're in the nine spot at the moment. There is a genuine sort of race on, I guess. I mean, they're one and a half games out at the moment, but I'm a little bit worried about another team that's slumping at the moment, Daz, and that's your Milwaukee Bucks, also five and five in their last ten. But um, gee, 
five and five just describes because one game they come out and look like world beaters, and the next game, like today, they can't even put up eighty points, and they look totally disinterested. And the and the 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 rotations are all over the place. You never know who's going to be playing one night tonight. Whether that's a part of the sort of inconsistent and uneven performances, uh, I've got some of my thoughts. But you're obviously a bit closer to this. I mean, what, where do you think they're at? I mean, what what? And Jason Kidd obviously on the hot seat. So let me put it to you this way: What do you want to see from this team between now and the end of the season for you to be happy for Jason Kidd to come back and coach this team again in twenty nine or twenty eight or nineteen? Win basketball games. On a consistent basis, it's it's that simple. Is it as simple Bucks, as just quickly? Is it as simple as it is, they make the second round, kids safe, and he gets another season? Because wow, that was the sort that's of a Randy Whitman route that the Wizards took, and they end up losing a season. I mean, you've, I guess you've got to be careful sometimes with just putting that sort of final point on it. Look, that's a fair question. That, that's fair pushback, but I guess I'm saying step one is a team with this much talent and a uh, a top five MVP um, candidate with a historically uh, good PER, right? You know, a supremely productive player. There's with all the individual defensive talent that they have. There's absolutely no. There's no other explanation other than than scheme, approach, and culture and system that he's built for why this team is 29th in defensive rating. And you've got hardworking Malcolm Brogdon and and Hydra, um, poor man's Andre Robertson in Tony Snell, and you've got Giannis, and you've got Bulldog Eric Bledsoe. Um, you've got super energetic, um, albeit flawed, you know, uh, long-armed Hydras in John Henson and Thon Maker. You've, you've got way more than enough individual talent to not be effing 29th. So that's where the narrative in Bucksland is that what is it? What on earth has a team with this much individual talent being so pathetic on the defensive end? So the lot, a lot of it lands at, on kids' feet. The mystery to those of us who don't sit in the locker room and don't par- participate in practice and live on the, on, the, on the team airplane is that, well, is this just a team when you hear, we've heard for years, right? What, what defense is first and foremost about is you know, mental attention, mental acuity, and being locked in and being attentive, and then effort, trying, trying hard. So I find a, I find I leave, I guess, that that door open a tiny bit to say, oh, is Chris Middleton giving everything? Is is Snell giving everything? Are they, are they giving everything? I go, maybe. I could see them not, but... That's the only thing that I can say would give Jason Kidden out is 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 just is he are the players just not translating you know practice time into game time. Well, is so, it time to dial the defense back a bit because this is a defense that when everyone's locked in, it's when everyone's locked in and no one's making mistakes, it's it's possibly the best defense in the NBA. But there's there's zero room for error. So once one guy's not engaged, once one guy's miss a, misses a beat. It's a layup line, or it's open threes, and that's that's what we're seeing far too consistently. Yes, you're you're right. So that's been the talk now for I'd say at least a couple, at least a month too. It's that the um, I tend to subscribe to the Ben Falk theory, which is that 
you know, these over-aggressive defenses, when they work, they tend to be engineered for winning games against lesser talent. But when you're playing supreme talent, like top three and top four seeds in a playoff series, night after night after night, what tends to win out is the more, you know, the San Antonio Spurs type of approach, which is you man up, you fucking, you look a man in the eye, and you play defense, and you fucking try, and you get in his jock, and you get in his grill, and you get in his face, you don't let him land clean. You you just <laughs> d up right. You know, but you know what I'm saying, right? So yeah. the the gimmicky over aggression tends to win, you know, against Charlotte and um, and Orlando in the regular season, but it's going to get killed again in the playoffs. Is is the fear? And again, they couldn't. They look so brilliant for stretches against Toronto, then get shredded in last year's playoffs right by it. So to cut a long a long diatribe short is. Jason's kid's seat is on fire. I think the ownership um, uh, with a new stadium opening in the fall and their, their global superstar who will be finished 1-2 in voting in the East um, in, in Giannis now with literally the clock ticking on his contract, even though they're pals with kid and they handpicked him and elbowed out, you know, uh, didn't even consult John Hammond in his hiring, all the rest of that, that very well-documented story. I I'm going to have some faith in them that they can they hear the noise they see the lack of production they see the giant payroll that they have they see the talent on the floor and go there's no we're running out of variables here right so if it's not a coaching change then um, uh, I, I don't know what else they do. Would you prefer so, them to stick with kid no matter what for the rest of the season or do you think it's getting to a point where they go? You know what a mid-season change might not be the worst thing in the world for this team. If so, great question. Um, if kid sticks around, I think that I just don't have any faith it's going to work. But if they make a mid-season change, what's most likely is they have an interim coach, and that's not going to save the season either. So in those two scenarios, this is a lost, a bit of a lost season, right? in terms of where we guess the the Vegas odds were, what, 47 and a half wins. You know, so I guess this is a lost season, and this team should be on paper. This should be a second-round team with an Eric Bledsoe now in fold. So I think it's a lost, lost season, lost opportunity. That being said, if they opened up a, a coaching search and uh, and didn't just have an interim, I leave open the opportunity that they could maybe – you know, make some noise, an overused metaphor, but is Jason Kidd there, there, Mark Jackson? Is there a Steve Kerr out there? I don't have the answer. I'm not nearly smart enough to know who's the perfect type of coach for this team. I just know it's not um, the, the assistants sitting on sitting underneath Jason Kidd. I'd like to see a coach swap between Orlando and Milwaukee. Give Frank Vogel this, this roster and let Jason Kidd go over and and saw that the mess that's all in. I think he might be a better fit over there to saw that what they're going through. Look, I haven't done enough thinking, but I about a Vogel in particular. But I can I can see how you you can conclude that. The my feeling is that in the that of Buxlation, is that this team requires a, a coach who has won, and so I don't know if that a coach who has won, if that's a a David Blatt who has won, or if it's a uh, Jeff Van Gundy coming from retirement, who's coached superstars in Yao and Tracy McGrady and and, the, and and whoever he had, the Knicks, 
free will, etc. So I go, I don't know the actual names, but this team needs to be taught what Jason Kidd keeps banging on about is they don't know how to win. This team is young and they're still learning how to win. Well, great. Then let's bring in someone who can teach them how to win from the coach's box, not just from the Hall of Fame point guard's box. So kids, kids' seat's on fire. I think they should get a veteran coach. I don't know who that guy is, but, and boy, hold a gun to my head. I still think it's better to let co- let kid finish out the season. I'm not a big believer in midseason stuff. It's not like this is a, a Jay Triano um, situation in Phoenix where they just needed to, you know, shoot. <laughs> Who was the coach? I'm forgetting. Who's the coach? Earl Watson. They... Earl Watson. I almost, I almost said Gentry again. I, go, um, I don't think that does a lot of good. I, I just don't think there's a, a magic wand you wave 50 games into the season. Well, last Bucks question. Is there a move for them to make tri- the trade deadline that you can see? Small moves. Yep, I think they might. They'll do around the edges. They they need serious help now that um, they've lost. Not lost. They traded Monroe and lost Toledovic. Uh, Giannis is playing way too many minutes. Um, Thon and Henson on nights that they don't have it. There's not enough brawn in the middle, and there's just no four. There's no four stroke five to play any minutes of substance. And DJ Wilson is proving to be a complete absolute bust in terms of their first round draft pick this year. Um, Joel Ballamboy is a you know feeling he's not a you know, he's in a regular rotation guy. So yes, I think there's a move, but I think it's going to be in that you know uh, Kyle O'Quinn you know type of thing. This is not a DeAndre Jordan or a Dwight Howard or um, that sort of thing. It's going to be a pick up a Fareed for a couple of months, you know, for a second rounder and some salary filler. But well, would you throw something at, at uh, Dallas for a look at Nerlens Noel? I don't think he's the type of player. What the Bucks desperately need is more um, is more rebounding, not more arms and legs. They've got that with Thon and Henson. So I think they need someone who can just help them retain possessions. They've lost. I would, I you know, it is a leap, but I would say there's at least two games they've lost this year, just because they haven't been able to clear the defensive glass by giving teams that make a great defensive stand can't clear the glass and second chance points kill them. So. That's what I think they need. <coughs> Excuse me. So I think they'll do tinkering, but this DeAndre Jordan stuff is is rubbish. They're not going to trade more future first round picks for a f- few months of DeAndre. No way. No, and I think they 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 would be in the, if they want. <coughs> I'm assuming they want. Excuse me. Assuming they want, they're interested in Jordan. I think the free agency would be the way to go to try and get him uh, rather than than looking at. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So. Uh, there's a couple of good big men actually on 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 the Mavericks. I mean, they've been playing better basketball lately. So, I'm sure if not the Bucks, certain teams might be looking around Maxi Kleber and uh, Salah Mejri, Mejri, who's uh, he's 31 now, and um, uh, and Kleber's 26. So they're both sort of a little bit older, but they've been playing decent basketball. So I can I can sort of see teams. I don't know why you keep trying to. Put the Mavericks on my box, but I'm like I, you know, there's actually I've again I have a, I think there's a spot for a Tristan Thompson type of player. I think he'd he'd actually be an, if he's in if he's in physical fitness. I don't know what his health is like, but that sort of player is is where I think the Bucks desperately need. You know, he's the rich man's Kylo Quinn, or I guess this year the poor man's Kylo Quinn. But well, he's not. I'd rather Kylo Quinn looking at the way both of them have been playing this year. 
Well, you know, in my mind, I go, you almost got salary. They don't quite match, but, you know, a, a deli for Tristan Thompson, as crazy as that sounds. <laughs> you call me crazy, right? But I, think about the fit on both teams. Deli's just a pain in the ass. Um, you know, he, he'd let them very comfortably let Derek Rose go retire and unretire somewhere else, play some nice bench minutes. Um, you know, D Wade's, you know, as I said, that's his, uh, his stable goat in Delhi. Oh, Delhi, I could see being part of the trade, but I think there'd have to be a little bit more than that from the Bucks' point of view. Uh, to get Delhi, Delhi, and Telly, then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. So let's let's anyway. turn to the Cavs. I mean, the Cavs three and seven in their last ten. As usual, I'm probably lower on them than what you are, uh, but. I'll tell you, I've watched a couple of these games. They are playing atrocious basketball. They did come back a little bit against Indiana, albeit they lost the game in the end against Indiana, but much more positive sides in that game. At least they kept Indiana under 100 points. And Isaiah Thomas is back. Looks terrible, but how how worried are you, scale of 1 to 10, about Isaiah Thomas so far? I mean, have you seen him play much? And if so, how worried are you? I have seen him play a bit. Yep. Um, he's not as far along as I thought, right? So just in terms of just general life expectations, when I thought Isaiah's coming back, I probably thought I'd see 80% Isaiah, but I'm not seeing 80% Isaiah. I'm not seeing lift in the mid range. I'm seeing, I'm not seeing lift at the bucket. I'm not seeing legs out deep, you know, on, on his three-point shot. I'm not seeing that lateral explosiveness. I'm I'm on a scale of 1 to 10 worried about Isaiah. Look, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know if this is just a natural part of his progression and getting his game legs back. But um, if if you told me, you know, Isaiah is going to be back to 100%, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked. So I'd, I'm, uh, on a, I'm 8 out of 10 worried about Isaiah. Uh, again, not being a doctor, but I'm I'm a I'm a zero out of ten worried about the Cavs. We've we've heard this song, we've seen this dance. They don't give a shit about the number one seed. That's clear. Um, so I'm not actually worried about them in light of the Eastern Conference. Um, if I had to put my money on the Eastern Conference champion, I'm still putting my money on them because Boston still doesn't really terrify me in a seven-game series. They really don't. Toronto, giving me reason to think, uh, a theoretical, that they'd be a team with this much depth, um, should be good in a seven-game series. I just, you know, their history as a guide, I don't. I guess I don't trust it. Washington has fallen. I don't know what the bleep is wrong with Washington. Um, Washington looks bored. They look joyless. They look like the Clippers of the last few years. I just I think they need a shakeup of some sort. So I almost go, yeah, it might be a little bit tallest midget, but I'm 8 out of 10 worried about Isaiah, but 0 out of 10 worried about the Cavs. Yeah, this is where the Western Conference is still uh, better it is. than the East because at yep. that top end, Cleveland, there's no way they'd be able to coast like this in the Western Conference because where are they going to rank them I when they... 
they clearly can't beat the Warriors anyway, but I think they'd really struggle against the Rockets, struggle against the Spurs, and even though OKC, for all their warts, um, I'd probably have OKC's favourite against them in a, in a seven-game series, to be brutally honest at the moment. You mean Minnesota? Or you mean oh, actually mean OKC, OKC, yeah. No, Minnesota, I'm not, I'm not completely sold on, but at least Minnesota, there's going to be some intensity. Cleveland will bring the intensity once the, the playoffs come, but gee... When your defence is as bad as this, there's such a gap between where they need to be. And I know last year, when they were dropping games last year, they were dropping games in crunch time and towards the end of the games. They're just getting blown out in games this year. And uh, you can't just sit there and say, oh, well, they don't care at all. Because you just see LeBron gesticulating to the assistant coaches and to the team as a whole in Toronto. I think, and from what I heard internally from the Brian Windhorst of the world, they went out against Toronto because they'd been blown out by Minnesota the game before. And they said, this is a national TV game. All right, let's flick the on switch on here. And they got beaten even worse against Toronto than they did against Minnesota. So they're now getting to games where they're thinking, all right, now this is the game where we're going to turn it on. And they can't turn it on. You wonder if they don't find that switch soon, how far down the standings might they fall? Now, I know we keep saying, well... They're not going to be worried about where they're sued in the plus. I think to a certain extent that's right, but you also don't want to be on the road um, too often. Um, and, and ideally, you wouldn't want to be on the road two out of three, uh, depending on who your opponents are. So it just it may make it a tougher run through. And I mean, if they if their goal really is to beat the Warriors, uh, I don't I don't see how taking the regular season like this is is the way to go about it. Well, their defensive problems are real. Don't don't mistake what I'm saying. Their defensive problems are from our famous sticky notes back in early December where they're just unfathomable incompetence um, on defense. That's still very real, right? I'm just saying I still think even with their defensive flaws, I'm assuming Isaiah gets closer to 80 or 90% eventually. I assume they're going to get some sort of – they'll get reinforcements at the trade deadline <coughs> for, or from buyouts or, or a combination of both. They will get – they'll get reinforcements Um and I still, where's your? But if you had to put money on it today, would just straight odds? Forget it. Would you? Would you put money on coming out of the East? Oh, I today? think it's still Cleveland. No, they're the bad. Yeah, but right. So that's if, that's if, why I'm saying. That's why I'm saying zero. I'm worried about it. No, the other thing, just to, to, to counterpoint my own point, was when the when they won. What was it? Thirteen in a row. They went on that sort of nice streak after that rough start. Yeah. Do you know who they beat? Uh, Mavericks, Knicks, Hornets, Clippers. Pistons, Nets, Hornets, Sixers, Heat, Hawks, Grizzlies, minus Conley, minus Gasol, Bulls, Kings. Yeah, not one. To repeat, to repeat one playoff team, that's called Miami. Yeah. And is Detroit a playoff team? Maybe. That's it. Then they lost to the Pacers, had a nice little streak against the Wiz, Lakers, Hawks, Sixers, Jazz. And Bulls lost to the Bucks, lost to Golden State, then lost to the Kings, lost to Utah, lost to the Celtics, lost to Minnesota, lost to Toronto, lost to Indiana. So that's the other for me. The more hmm, I start going, I might start thinking about putting that money back in my pocket. Is have they beat anyone good ever? Have they had a good? Have they beat anyone? I mean, I don't mean ten games. I mean, can you tell me a time have they beat? A really, really, really good team this year. What Boston on opening night well, after the kid broke his ankle? It'd right? only be the Milwaukee game 
for me. And probably the game where they beat the Knicks in MSG. I know the Knicks haven't been sitting the right. on fire across the season as a whole. But no. that's that's where I'm going. Where I'd even to my own counterpoint about about the East. They haven't beaten any of the top three. Have they beat any of the top three in the West? I don't know if they've played them much. Well, they beat Boston played, once. Uh, they played Houston once and lost. They played Golden State and lost. Uh, and they haven't played the Spurs yet. No, right. So okay, maybe they just haven't had the opportunity yet. But when you're not beating up on, um, you're not beating the Wizards and. Um, uh, Raps and Celtics either though, by the same token. They did. They have beaten the Wizards. They did beat the Wizards as well. Yeah, they had a big win. Uh, they beat them a couple times actually. Well, the Wizards are, are babies. So we'll see. They got Golden State again tomorrow. Um, we'll see how that goes. They got this. Then they got OKC um, next weekend, and the Spurs. They had a home and home against Detroit, and the home run is sandwiched around a game against Indiana and the now sort of hot heat. Houston coming up again, and Minnesota and Boston, Oklahoma City again in early February. So that is at least it toughens up. So I'm still zero worried of them coming out of the East today. Maybe it's a one, not just reviewing it, but let's revisit on the 13th of February after yeah, they play Oklahoma City for the I mean, second time. Yeah. To me, it's just another argument why they should do a way of conferences because I get sick and tired of every year Cleveland can just – to sit there and suggest they're going to be the second best team in the NBA when they're in the finals is a, a complete joke to me. Uh, that when they're lucky to be in top five, in my opinion. But anyway, that that'll be the frustration that I'll have to sit through yet again mm-hmm. um, during NBA finals time. So let's let's end though, Daz. We're about halfway through the season, so let, let's look at their awards again. We might just do some of the major awards now and see what your sort of thinking is, whether your thinking's changed or not. I mean, the one thing I would say is, I think your Kyrie MVP argument, although he's certainly not there at the moment, I think it gains steam with every passing week, because, and and the argument you made at the start of the season, which is proving to be uh, quite salient, I think, is that it might be just one of them years where there's no standout contender. And we're staying to see, I mean, at the moment to me it's LeBron, but if Cleveland's side continues, I think LeBron's case gets hurt. And then Golden State, you've got Curry and Durant probably vulturing each other a little bit. Giannis is the 500 club. I don't think he's going to get it, work his way into the conversation necessarily. Harden's now injured. We might be sort of looking around going, is it just best player, best team? The Celtics have won 60-plus games without Gordon Haywood. Let's give it to Kyrie Irving. So I think that the argument, even though I'm not there yet, it's gaining steam as the season goes on. Look, I've got him number five, to be honest, at the moment. Genuinely number five in my little personal rankings. And and so the, remember, the other thing where I just don't think it's enough credit, which I've argued heavily, especially after Hayward was hurt, was degree of difficulty. The amount of change Kyrie's had to endure of team, of teammate, style, system, losing Hayward like that on, on day one, etc. I think his degree of difficulty is also unmatched compared to LeBron, Harden, um, uh, KD, and Curry. Again, KD's a bit down this year. Um, I, I have to say Curry would probably be top two if he'd played more, if he'd had more games under his belt. But um, I'm with you. I think LeBron is just by a hair. Still a hair ahead of Harden at this at this moment, but um, I've got then LeBron one, Harden two, um, and I'm going out on a limb, and I'm actually just for what I've seen, I'm putting Jimmy Butler number three. I'm going to reward what I've seen, the eye test, 
and just the, the man test lifting up his team around him. And that's why I put Giannis number four, where Giannis hasn't learned yet how to lift his entire team. Well, that's a lot to ask of a kid who's just turned 23, I understand. But if you want to be in this conversation, that's the pressure you now have. So I've actually dropped Giannis down, and I've, I've bumped Kyrie number five. And then, again, I've asterisks next to both kind of Curry. If he'd played more games, he'd probably be up there even higher. I don't know if you went one through five, Daz, but that yeah, was my... Yeah, well, my sort of felt five would be I'd have LeBron, then Harden, then I've got Giannis, uh, then I'd probably have Kyrie, and then you're probably looking at Jimmy Butler, AD. Yeah, okay. I still think That's Durant's in the, in the conversation. Uh, yeah, there with the Warriors, but again, him and Curry, it's sort of hard to, to pick between them when they are both playing as well. So uh, that's that's sort of where I'm at at the moment with this. Let's move on uh, to another one. Let me throw a curveball at you, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, now, people have been talking about Andre Roberson for this award. Should his lack of offensive play hurt him in, in this sense? I mean, it's just the frustration of looking at a guy that just cannot shoot. <laughs> Did you just ask, should a player's offense matter in a defensive award? But I think, honestly, defensive it does award? because I think to, to a certain extent, you look at the guy and you go, he can't be out there in crunch time. He can't be out there in some of the big moments of games because he's such a non-factor offensively. Uh, so, no, it shouldn't be used against him because the, the, it's in the title, Defensive Player of the Year. It's I in think the title. he should be penalised for not getting better. I mean, if you had his defensive ability, wouldn't you just spend every day just shooting corner threes? I mean, I cannot understand how he's this bad and shooting three throws. Can it be that hard? It must be. I mean, have you seen Markel Fultz's jump shot? <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen Marcus Smart, you know, even... I think basketballs now run away from Marcus Smart because they they get hurt clinging off the fucking backboard. Look, off the top of my head, um, I I might go out on the limb with this one. I'm going to go best defense, almost the Kyrie argument, best defender on the best team. It's not Al Horford. I love Jalen Brown. I have an irrational love of how he plays. Um and the guy can defend one through fours. He's thick. He's fast. He's explosive. He's got quick lateral quickness. And I'd have to go and pull up stats around, you know, counting stats. But, man, I love how Jalen Brown defends. He's, that looks like your future Kawhi on the defensive end anyway. There's my, there's my uh, curveball. Well, let me give you a curveball. I'm not going to give yeah. him, but I, I think he needs to be in the conversation. That's LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, the Spurs are second in defensive rating without Kawhi Leonard so far. The anchor of that defense is unquestionably LaMarcus Aldridge what? because I'll tell you, Daz, their point guards can't defend. We, the Spurs point guards can't no, they stay are terrible. in front of yeah. anyone. Now, who, so who's holding that defense up? It's not Kyle Anderson. It's not... Davis Bertans? No. It's not Bertans. It's, it's not... It, I mean, Danny Green's been in and out of the team injured as well. I think LaMarcus Aldridge needs to start getting more due for just how well he's playing this year. And to me, I'd have him right up there in terms of uh, Defensive Player of the Year, if not number one. No shit. Uh, no shit. So, I am going to go with Robeson, though. I just... Robeson's one of them few guys yeah. that... I enjoy watching play defense because he's so good 
one-on-one. Uh, I don't know that he'll be there at the end of the year when all said and done. I'll be interested to sort of see if any other guys uh, come forward. I'll continue to be impressed with Ananobi. I think he's going to be a future guy in that area as well. But I'm going to go Robeson, um, even though, as much as his offensive game does does frustrate me. Uh, I think he's the best defender. And playing for uh, OKC, the ranked third now in um, defensive rating in the league. So... They are um, are they third? I'm just hard to, to argue. Yeah. So, but they, look, they, I get the Jalen Brown argument as well. I think uh, the Celtics are right up there still in in defensive rating, and he's obviously a big part of that. Uh, what yeah. about coach of the year? I mean, is it just a runaway? I think it's almost a more interesting argument who should be second because to me it's just a non-argument as to who should be first. But I'm interested if you agree with that. Well, you're gonna, if you're saying Pop, I'm still saying Brad Stevens. No, again I'm for saying the, Brad my, Stevens. As much oh, you I are too. Okay, right. Yeah. Think you've got to go Brad Stevens. I'm going Stevens for again for degree of difficulty and all the change and it, and all all that's been documented. Yeah, and then I've got a I've got a bit of a logjam. Um, I've been so shocked by what Toronto has done, and then hearing um, hearing Casey on a um, I think it was Zach's podcast a few weeks ago as well, sort of re almost deepening my appreciation for the changes that they set about when Masai uh, not so quietly said, we need a freaking culture reset, you know, minutes after they lost that, you know, got swept by the Cavs again last year. So I, I might go Casey, um, Casey number two uh, with respect to pop. And then I got tie for third. I've got Tibbs and pop. I think Tibbs is starting to, you can, Tibbs has been not on the radar for me up until the last few weeks, and yes, we'll see if they can continue, but I'm starting to see good signs for Minnesota. Actually, I'm, that's bullshit. Pop number three, Tibbs number four. Uh, I can't even talk myself into it. And then Spolster McMillan. I, it's, it's a lot of good coaching this year. at Spo doing what he does, um, and then Nate frickin' McMillan um, in Indiana. I think can't get enough credit for taking a bunch of cast-offs, um, literally cast-off players. Thad Young's a cast-off. You know, everyone made fun of Oladipo's contract. Sabonis is a one-dimensional one. has got yesterday's game. Darren Collison's on his 11th contract and 11th team in his 11th year. And literally, that's a team of freaking cast-offs and misfits who's playing some pretty entertaining and some solid, most nights, some solid basketball. So I think McMillan should get a lot of credit, so... It's tough, man. It's probably the hard. It's even harder, I'd say, than the MVP. But the, unlike the MVP, there's so many worthy sort of candidates. I think Stevens is runaway to me. I mean, to lose, to have that much turnover in your roster, to lose Haywood on the opening night, to have so many rookies, even though some of them are, are, are older rookies coming out from a European background, there's still a lot of Europe, um, rookies on that roster. So to do what he's done, to be the number one seed in the East, I think is uh, hat tip to him. He's a runaway favourite at the moment. Yeah. To me, Pop's number two. I love what Dwayne Casey's done uh, at the Raptors. He sort of changed the way that they've played which has been good to see. Uh, I'm, I'm with you um, on Tibbs, but I also I think Doc Rivers needs to get a bit of a bit of credit too mm. for keeping that team afloat when, when Blake Griffin went down. That was a great job. What about Fred Hoiberg? We haven't even spoken about the Bulls. Uh, the turnaround that team has just been absolutely amazing, uh, and we'll probably talk about them next week. I think they're an interesting 
a trade deadline team to talk about. So, But I think he needs a shout-out. Obviously not in the true running for coach of the year, but at least he stayed true to himself. And, then, and I said to you earlier on in the season, I remember, that I said they're playing actually a good style of basketball, the Bulls. They just don't have the talent out there. So once they got Portis back, once they got mm. Miritich back, Chris Dunn putting up numbers, uh, debatable just how good a player he is. But... Now they've got some better players out there playing. That well, Zach Levine's style. back now. Zach Zach's Levine back. played yeah. his first game and actually looked all right. He looked better than what <laughs> Isaiah Thomas has thus far. Yeah. I'll tell you that, albeit in about 12 minutes that he played. So that, that's something to keep an eye on. So, I, I, look, there's been some really good coaching for some some of the frustrating coaching. Even Dre, Jay Triano, I think, has done a pretty good job given what he inherited at Phoenix to keep that team afloat and sort of around about where they are. So there's been more good coaching than bad coaching, I think, Agreed. This, uh, this year. Uh, what about, what, what other awards uh, did you want to talk about, or do you have thoughts on uh, this halfway point in the year? Well, I guess the big one, right, this has been the, sort of it's become just sort of blended into the everyday you know, rhythms of the, of the NBA now, but we, it's still, this is going to be a historic rookie class, and so, you know, the rookie of the year is, you know, it's a, I think it's a symbolic award for this class. I think this class is going to be remembered. We'll see, but it's going to be one of the deeper classes. But yeah, look, I think, you know, Simmons was a runaway favorite. And I think, you know, Donovan Mitchell's closed that gap. And so I, I gosh, I, I, think I might even close the gap does. Yeah. I think I was too. I've actually in my little spreadsheet, I go Mitchell's number one now. I go, that's, that's not to discredit Simmons, but Simmons started so strong and has just kind of stabilized. He hasn't really done anything. Or I guess it's maybe, un, again, unfair to a guy who's playing 35 minutes a game like he is in Simmons. But I think Mitchell's just, he's launched past him to take on that much of a load for your team and then continually deliver in a variety of ways, um, offensively, defensively, with the ball, off the ball. Um, initiating offense, uh, shooting the rock. It's just been it's just been fun. Not to mention the dunks. <laughs> the dunks oh, player, an emotional... He's doing <laughs> show dunks. Like, I watched the game against the Cavs, and it was a two-point game, and this kid's doing show dunks in the middle of the game like he's Dominic Wilkins. Like, and yeah. he's just having fun out there. I know. Like, and he's fun to watch. I, I, we've spoken about it before, I know, but I just the Jazz are must watch to me. And Simmons is still playing well, but the talent around Simmons, uh, Simmons is much better than the talent around Donovan Mitchell at the yep. moment. It's, it's, and, and they've got similar records as team as well. Uh, and Mitchell's putting out better numbers, or at least scoring yeah. numbers anyway. Um, you know, well, Simmons is still filling up the box score, but he's got yeah. the opportunity as well. Yeah, yeah. So look, it's been a boy. What a shocker, huh? But um, that's been fun. That's been fun. good on and good good on Utah for you know um, enduring what they did in the off season and and this, they've been ravaged again by injuries, haven't they? Any any news on? Yeah, I don't want to digress. Uh, you need to see Gobert back to see that team. But um, yeah, Gobert's still at least a week or two away. Uh, yeah, they're yeah. having the best seventeen and twenty-five season for a long time. I'd say, yeah, it's an entertaining seventeen and twenty-five. Uh, but I, I agree. I, I think Mitchell's probably just poked his nose in front. Whether he stays there or not, I think. I think what Simmons is doing is more sustainable for the rest of the season than what Mitchell's doing. So I fully expect Simmons will probably move back into the lead and still win the award at the end. But if we're awarding yeah. it today, I'm, I'm giving Mitchell just a slight nod 
ahead of Ben Simmons um, for that award. And who knows? Look, you know, Tatum keeps going. Maybe his consistency just pushes him back into the conversation, and, and he sticks his nose in front as well. Um, it's it's going to be very interesting to see that side of things um, for the next. <coughs> yeah. Excuse me. So let's let's look at the schedule. Does any marquee matchups have you sort of looked ahead? the schedule for the rest of this week do any marquee matchups that we might have to look out for well let's see who suits up but like i said you know we've got the you know golden state um uh playing at um at cleveland tomorrow that's tomorrow yes that's tomorrow yep that should be a bit of fun um who else am i looking for yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not throwing the Clipper love yet. I love well, love it them is in the Chris Paul's return to LA, so that's it is. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. Sorry. Yeah, I missed that. There. Yeah. Look. Um. What else do we got? Jeez, it might be a quiet week, Des. Um. Minnesota, Houston. It could be a good measuring stick for the Wolves. They play later in the week. I think that's. Um. I think that's Thursday. Um. That could be a good measuring stick game for the Wolves. You know, on the road. <laughs> Uh, again, with or without Harden, I don't think he'll be. Who knows if he's back by then? And then you got an interesting, I guess, um, Spurs and um, Spurs Raps play. Raps, yeah, that yeah, that should be an interesting sort of matchup of sort of two. Spurs haven't played all that well away from home this year. They have got the best home record in the NBA, but their away records just yeah. five hundred. So uh, yeah. I don't hold any great hopes for the Spurs. In that one, no, Washington I, and Detroit's an interesting one just to keep an eye on. That's two teams with a similar record on the same day um, uh, to see where, yeah. where both of those teams are at. And then next Saturday, got a few interesting ones. OKC at Cleveland. We'll see which version of OKC shows up, and I guess for that matter, what version of Cleveland's defense shows up. Yeah. Um, then you got Golden State at Houston. That's always that's always fun. And um, Toronto, Minnesota. That's an interesting, you know, again, interconference. Matchup, so that's next Saturday. Is that that's so, Saturday in the US though? That's sun, Sunday here. Yeah, our yeah. Sunday morning. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, Toronto at Minnesota next. Uh, I guess next week. So. All right, Dan. Yeah, we'll, so, we'll, so, so we'll leave it there. Um, we'll talk again. It'll have to be in a fortnight. I'm actually going away myself next week, uh, for a well-earned holiday with the family. But uh, we'll talk in a couple of weeks. We'll be right in the middle of uh, trade deadline. Then, Daz, so we'll sort of see what what moves. Uh, uh, are being made at that point. I mean, uh, just quickly on that, I feel like it's going yeah. to be a pretty quiet trade deadline somehow. There's not been much rumours about it. And you sort of, as you even go through, you just sort of think, well, there's, the big players that we're expecting to be moved, the Paul George and the Jimmy Butlers and even Kyrie, that all happened before the season. So it's it's hard to see where the big trade is going to come from. I'm with you. I think there's been the last couple of years right, with all the salary cap explosion there's a lot of long-term deals been locked up there's not as many players on the market and i think with the cap is there being strapped but the argument would be that trades would be the, the way that teams can improve so um but you start looking at the um the teams who are going to make moves that they trying to get into the playoffs they just don't have much cap space so i i tend to agree there'll be a few there are always a few moves but this isn't going to be not the fireworks like last year by any stretch, but um, yep. we'll see if DeAndre ends somewhere or maybe someone rescues Kemba Walker from that hellhole in, in Charlotte <laughs> and throws a, a godfather offer at him. And um, I don't know, maybe Danny Ainge has a trick up his sleeve. We'll see. But um, yeah. yeah, well, we should check in on the, we'll check in on that and then tankathon. I think we need to first, we need to first look there because there's been some 
of some radical move in tankathon since the you know the bulls started to decide to play and, and the mm. rest of it so that's it yeah okay all right that's good to talk to you again mate and we'll uh, we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks time travel well buddy all right Bye. thanks mate